Hey, this is Chris. Hope you're doing well and welcome to Popcorn Finance, the show where we discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. But I have to say, one of the best investments that I feel that I've ever made is in therapy. It's something that I started a few years back. And yes, it does cost money. It's definitely not free, but it feels like it was money well spent. In an article I came across on Forbes, it said that the range for therapy is somewhere between $100 to $200 a session. It doesn't really fit into every budget out there. So I wanted to know, like, is it possible to make therapy more affordable? And so to help me discuss this topic, I'm joined by one of my favorite guests. You've heard her on the podcast many times before, Lindsay Bryan Podman. She's the host of the Mind Money Balance podcast and just an amazing individual overall. So Lindsay, appreciate you coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. So happy to be back. You're a practicing financial therapist. Mm-hmm. You've been in the game for a while. So I wanted to know, just to kick things off, why is it that therapy is you know, on the more expensive side when it comes to, I guess, mental health treatment? My very biased answer is going to be that it actually shouldn't be more than a lot of other physical health services. Something mm. really important to note from a consumer advocate perspective is that in 2008, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, there was also something known as the Parity Act was passed. It actually stands for the Mental Health Parity and Addictions Equity Act, which is, as you can tell, why we call it the Parity Act. And what <laughs> that means <laughs> is that there should be the exact same financial cost sharing requirements between physical health and mental health if you are covered under a group health plan. In English, what that means is that if you work for somebody who has 50 or more employees and they provide you with health insurance, your mental health care services should be no different, financially speaking, than your physical health care services when it comes to things like co-pays, deductibles, the number of sessions you are allowed to have, whether or not you need prior authorization or proof of medical necessity. So for example, if every time you go to physical therapy, it's a $20 copay and you're using insurance for your mental health therapy, it should also be a $20 copay. If you are seeing a discrepancy, then that particular health care plan is not following the Mental Health Care Parity Act. And no. you can call them and advocate to make sure that that copay is the same or the deductible is the same. You can remind them, hey, this should be included in my plan. What is going on? Oh, OK, so that's interesting. So if the therapy provider is accepting insurance, then it should be following the same rules and guidelines of your health insurance. And this is across the board, like all health insurance plans that should be including this now. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Where I think a lot of people get lost on this is something that you hinted at earlier, which is a lot of therapists don't take insurance. So this is for the therapists Mm, who do accept insurance, is that their insurance needs to be covering it the same way they would for a physical health care plan. I know many people, including myself, have run across this where you're like, okay, I'm looking for a therapist. I have my insurance card with me. And they're like, oh, sorry, we don't take insurance. And that seems to be more and more common with more and more therapists out there. Uh, why is it that it's, they're just like, you know what? I don't, I, we just can't take this. Is it just a hassle? Like, what, what are the reasons behind that? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of share with the listeners what it was like when I first started out in private practice, because even though right now I don't take health insurance, 
I wanted to when I started out. And I applied to 17 different insurance panels asking to get paneled. That's a fancy way of saying being a part of their network. And of the 17 that I applied to, only one accepted me. So to be clear, I tried to get on insurance panels, but 16 of them rejected me. And they rejected me for a host of reasons. Insurance, like many bureaucratic things, tends to be a little bit dusty in their management. So what would happen, oftentimes the reason that I was rejected is that they would say, oh, Lindsay, there are so many therapists in the area, we don't have room to panel another therapist. Even though many of the therapists that were listed were no longer practicing or sadly had passed away, they were still listed as being a part of that healthcare plan. The other reason that I was rejected could often be they use fax machines still. (laughs) They would say, (laughs) yeah, I know, I know. It's really wild to imagine, but we've all been there where we've had to fax a healthcare provider or something. And you're like, why can't I upload this in the portal? So you can imagine 2017 was when I started in private practice. I had to find a fax machine, get it faxed over. And inevitably of the 20 page application that you sent over, Two of them wouldn't go through. So you'd be spending this back and forth time trying to call a certain department. Did my fax come through? Either yes, it did, but we didn't get a couple pages or no, it didn't. You need to send it to this fax number. That fax number is disconnected. And oftentimes they have, like many things, a time associated with it. So once you apply, you need to get all of your paperwork in in a certain amount of time. So those were the main reasons was that there were too many people and it was really tedious. So that's like on the back end of what might be going on is that it's not intuitive to join insurance panels if you are in private practice, which many therapists are. Now, if you go to a group practice, you know, some sort of therapy collective or therapy group, often all of the therapists will be on panel underneath the umbrella of that group practice. So that's why you usually have better luck finding an an, a therapist who takes insurance if you go to a group practice, such as a hospital, an outpatient center, something like that, is that when you join one of those practices, you get paneled under their ID number. Ah, okay. All right. Thank, I did not know any of this. That is shocking to me. I mean, it's both shocking and not shocking to hear right, that. Right, exactly. And then the other piece of why therapists don't take insurance is even when I was paneled, thankfully I was with a good insurance provider who paid me in a pretty timely manner. Insurance companies, as we already know, are a little bit bureaucratic and have a tendency to maybe not pay out in a good, quick fashion. So you may be waiting after submitting a claim anywhere from 30 to 90 days to get your payment. And if I'm a sole provider and I'm paying my office rent, I'm paying my electronic health record, I've got my admin, all of the stuff that you know you have as a small business owner, and I'm not getting paid for 90 days, it makes it really challenging. And on top of the delayed reimbursements, there are other headaches that can come along with it, such as they control what your rate is. You don't get to say, hey, I charge $150 for therapy. So if I'm on this insurance panel, you have to pay me $150 for therapy when one of your patients comes and sees me. No, no, no. The insurance provider gets to say, "Mm, based on the zip code you're in and how many therapists are there and how many people tend to go to therapy, we're going to give you $88. So even if I say I charge $150, the insurance company might pay me $88 and then I'm missing a big chunk of what 
my full fee would be. So that's the other piece that I think people don't understand is that when we're working with insurance panels, we're not getting often the rate that we charge our clients. We're getting a contracted rate and they have the opportunity to change that rate at any time. Most insurance providers change it once a year, but sometimes they change it, you know, whenever they want. So it's like having a boss, but they don't tell you when your rate's going to go up or you know, what you can do to secure a certain rate. It's very bizarre to feel like you don't have control over how much you're going to charge for your services or what you'll be reimbursed. And then the admin side of it can be a really big headache. I tried to do my own billing when I first started out in private practice, and it took me about four hours a week. So four hours a week of administrative work may not sound like a lot, but over the course of a month, that's 16 hours where I am working to try and get paid versus 16 hours where I could see, you know, 12-ish clients during that time. So it's not only financially not the best reimbursement practice, it also from a time-based perspective just often doesn't make sense for therapists who are in private practice. That makes complete sense. I can definitely see why a therapist would choose not to accept insurance because that sounds like just a headache. For me, I don't want my therapist to be like financially stressed out. I don't want to walk in their office knowing that they're like, oh, no, I don't know if I can pay my bills. That doesn't feel like the, the best environment. For right. The exactly. You're spot on. And I think that's why a lot of people opt out of insurance. It's not that we want to charge our clients a lot out of pocket. It's not that we're greedy. It's really that if we want to provide the type of good quality care that we know we're capable of, we need to be reimbursed for it. And we don't want that financial stress to get in between us and the client and negatively impact our therapeutic relationship if we're worried whether or not they're going to pay us or whether or not their insurance provider is going to reimburse us. Like that's an element that you really don't need in your therapeutic relationship. I don't know if you were just as surprised as I was about the way that health insurance and therapy works together, or maybe really the way they don't work together. But I feel like I learned a lot of stuff that I did not know. And if you want to learn even more about the world of therapy and some ways and tips and tricks on how you can make it a little bit more affordable for you, come back next Tuesday because Lindsay will be returning with some advice on how we can make therapy a little bit more affordable and get the care that we need. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to cover in a future episode, you can always email me questions at popcornfinance.com or just send me a DM over on social media. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. As always, I appreciate you joining me here for yet another bag of popcorn. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I'll talk to you soon. Your boy, keep it popping like Mary Poppins. 